You are now listening to Tough Gages Podcast. Hello and welcome to Talk Your Jits Podcast. This podcast is, as the name implies, all about jujitsu. I'm your host, Lamar Smith. And today's guest is a blue belt who trains at November Tango BJJ, located in Great Bend, Kansas. Ladies and gentlemen, Ed Bowman. Hey, thank you for having me on. Oh man, not a problem, man. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. That's good to hear. Well, um, let's give the people what they want. You want to formally introduce yourself again? Uh, go ahead and uh, let's hear about your jiu-jitsu journey. I'm uh, Ed Bowman. Um, I'm a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. And uh, it took me 30 years to find my jiu-jitsu school. Oh, wow. That's uh, something I started searching for in high school. Um, so back in 1993, uh, the first time, I think the first UFC came out, and we had a bunch of people over the house, everybody's arguing about who's going to win and what style's going to be best. And I trained like some Hapkido and Taekwondo, uh, some boxing, things like that. And then I wrestled um, at the high school level. Um, so we go through and we watch the two guys that I thought were the best were the two grapplers, Ken Shamrock and Wes Gracie, obviously, you know, both through everybody. Uh, and so... Personally, at that time, I'm wrestling for Tom Darnley. He's a 1969 New York, uh, what was he, third in the state of New York. And back then, there was only one state champ. There was no, like, you guys probably have classes, uh, big school, small school kind of thing. Um, yeah, small school. So Tom was third in the entire state of New York. Uh, mm. So he's a tough, he's a tough, tough guy. Tough guy. Uh, he, he'd actually beat the state champ 15 to 1 as a freshman. And then had a rematch with the guy that year and lost by like a point. Um, I think he went on to beat the guy in the summer freestyle tournament, state tournament for first on the way beating a guy that was like a Syracuse University runner up. So he's a tough guy. And um, one of the things that I think that we kind of get in arguments about different styles of grappling and what's better, what's, what's superior. And I think, Instead of doing that, you got to think about everything as being like a related. You know, there's skills from wrestling that work well with jujitsu that can better your game. There's skills from jujitsu that can upgrade your game. Um, so, with wrestling for Tom, he talked a lot about, I'm going to say grappling instead of wrestling, about <clears throat> grappling mirroring life. You know, he talked about a lot about whenever you're feeling comfortable on the mat, if you're, you're in danger. Mm-hmm. And I think if you ever rolled with an upper belt, those times where you're starting to feel pretty good about yourself, that's right before the, the trap's about to get sprung. Yep. <laughs> yes, indeed. So he would do that. He would put you in spots for enormous pressure from on top. And then you think you think there's an escape, and really it's where he wants you to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his big thing was if there's time on the clock, there's hope. So if you got time in your life, you never give up. You just keep pushing forward. Um, you know, we had one teammate who really kind of exemplified that he had in wrestling. You have a tech fall where it's kind of like a mercy roller. If you're behind by 15 points, they call it as a technical fall and the match is over. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my teammates was down 14 to nothing, like on five separate occasions and came back in the guy. Nice. So, Another thing he talked about was, you know, making sure you're in shape. 
uh, pressing forward all the time. You know, you got to go through difficulties. So just keep your head down and keep moving forward. Um, and then when you're competing, you're not just competing for yourself. You're competing for your team. You're competing for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, those are the people that get up early in the morning and drive across the state to get you where you got to go for, um, I don't know what the tournaments are like in Michigan, but for the area of Kansas I'm in, we're looking at um, competition-wise for a jiu-jitsu tournament, you're going a minimum of two-hour drive um, or like three or four hours up to Kansas City to compete. Um, not, well, no, we have a lot of closer closer tournaments, so we don't have to, luckily we don't have to drive too far, but. That's a good deal. Yeah. Well, you can see I'm out in the sticks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing he said was <clears throat> he noticed that the times he lost were the times where he got um, put too much pressure on himself and stopped having fun. Mm-hmm. So he wanted you to always kind of compete with with some aggression and some, but to still have some fun with it. Because if you're not out there having fun, then, you know, what's the point? Right. So <clears throat> at that time in Kansas, there's not really any, any BJJ at all. All we're doing is we're watching, you know, UFC tapes or um, really wasn't hardly any instructions. I think Louie touched on that in your interview with him. Uh, I'm not even going to tempt that guy's last name because I know I'll mess it up. Oh, uh, Sir Cetis. Yes. Um, it wasn't a lot of instructional videos, so basically we're just like watching uh, UFC and um, Pancrase for some reason was on our pay-per-view a lot. So I was, you know, mowing lawns and getting Pancrase videos trying to go back and watch um, kind of technique from there. And I'd get a couple of buddies together from the wrestling team and we'd work out and try to figure out, like we're watching the Zapruder film, you know, stop and rewinding, trying to figure out where, where the arms go, where the knees squeeze on an arm bar, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I started watching this and, and realizing that like, especially like if you saw the Hoist versus chemo match, um, where he was able to stay composed despite all the pressure, everything going bad, but he stuck to his game plan and controlled what he could control until the point where he had an opportunity and seized it. Mm-hmm. So I thought about that. The same thing kind of in life, you know, if you can just kind of roll with the punches, stay positive, keep moving forward. Um, in the end, the good things are going to happen for you. Oh, of course. So, um, I graduate, and I'm kind of thinking about either playing football or wrestling in college, and I lean towards football. Um, go out for a little junior college, and um, um, kind of tragedy strikes for me. My high school fiance uh, gets killed by a drunk driver. Oh, no. Sorry to hear that. I appreciate that. So I'm coming back from overseas. And I don't even know what's happened. I get to the airport, and uh, my parents are there, and Tom's there, my coach. And I'm kind of wondering what this is about. And he's like, kind of shows you that you develop these relationships with a mentor or a coach, and they can stick with you through a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of take a year off. I'm going to school, but I'm like, and I think you've talked about having some depression before. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm as low as I've ever been. I'm like, I'm not going to class. I'm flunking out. And 
the only thing that I'm really getting motivated for is I'm coaching kids club wrestling and refereeing a little bit on the weekends. You know, that's the only thing that's kind of motivating me mm-hmm. to do anything but just kind of sleep. So um, some phone calls are getting made, and I get offered to walk on at a um, Division two school out here in, uh, Fort, at Fort Hayes State. I walk on, do some wrestling, and see, you know, if I can get this jump started in life. So we go out, and, uh, man, the conditioning's tough. I'm not in shape, but I get in better shape as the, as the season's going on or as the preseason's going on. And then uh, get into the room and we have those welcome to college wrestling moment, which I think is like the same thing as being a white belt and going into the room the first time and getting smashed by upper belts. Because um, you got guys in there that are all Americans or national runner ups. And you're a guy that's, <laughs> or I was a guy that was um, not on that level. And I'm getting smashed, but my mental health is way better. And mm-hmm. I realize as, as tough as this is, this is what's getting me through. I, I don't have like the same competitive spark, but I feel at peace when I leave that room. Yes. You know, no matter how, no matter how bad my day is, um, or how down I am when I get into that room and just, and I don't always want to go, you know, but I always find a way to make it, you know, definitely. Just, and, you know, I noticed my mental health is way, way better. I'm starting to feel better. Um, I'm getting out of the house. I'm going to classes. At first, it was like the, you know, threat of getting my butt kicked by the coach. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, tracking me down because I missed a class. But then eventually, I'm, I'm coming out of this funk because I think it's entirely because I'm, I'm on the mats again. Um, and I can see that just sense of peace and um, everything's just kind of coming together better for me. So uh, we get to the end of the season and one of the assistant coaches, like generally in wrestling, you get the off season, you're doing freestyle or you're doing Greco. Um, one of the coaches wanted to try judo. We had a uh, economics professor who was from Japan who had uh, had a judo club for Penn state and wanted to start one with us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm all in. I'm thinking, okay, I loved watching Hoist fight in the gi. And, you know, I don't know when we're going to find a school in Kansas, especially rural Kansas, that has uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, you know, I can do this and at least, you know, have a style of similar, maybe learn some new things. Mm-hmm. So the team is doing awesome because, you know, basically we're all wrestlers. We're all in great shape. And we're kind of rolling through the competition to the point where I don't think anybody on our team lost to anyone outside of our team until nationals. Wow. Uh, And we had, let's see, five of us go to the national tournament and four medal of the tournament. I didn't, but I was fighting with one arm. I had a, like a bone spur that was impinging on, a nerve in my arm so I couldn't lift my arm. But I decided to compete anyway because the tournament was going to be in Kansas that year. And I thought, man, you can't get better than home cooking. So we'll give it a shot and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, um, let's see. See, that's my, gets me through like my junior year. And then 
our son is born. My wife is pregnant. We have the kid when I my started my senior year. Yeah, started my senior year, summer before the senior year starts. And he's born preemie. So we uh, we're in the NICU and the the head nurse is um, I don't even know what brought it up, but she's talking to my wife about jujitsu and how her husband knows Hoist Gracie and is in seminars with him and my wife's like, Hey, that's that, that guy you're always talking about. Right? Mm-hmm. So I finally meet someone who's had like contact with with like real life Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I'm excited to meet the guy. Um, talked to him, I found out he's with a group called American Jiu-Jitsu, and at first I thought it was kind of cheesy. I'm like, okay, you guys are just like, you know, um, throwing American on the front of it and no one's going to notice. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, and then I found out that what they're doing is they're, they're trying to blend. Um, it, made, it made sense because it talks about America being a melting pot, so they're a mixed martial arts style. They're trying to blend Brazilian jiu-jitsu with Japanese jiu-jitsu, judo, uh, and kickboxing. So they're trying to, you know, address any kind of level, stand-up, throws, takedowns, groundwork, um, things of that nature. And uh, he knows that I'm going to go back to the Kansas City area when I'm finished with school. So I'm looking through the school listings. He says, he says well, there's this guy, Eric who I think is mostly just like a kickboxer, right? Mm-hmm. So, I get through the senior year, I go to watch um, a submission tournament, and there's going to be a Health Gracie seminar afterwards. Um, I don't do the tournament because my I got a knee injury, so I'm still kind of on crutches at the time. <clears throat> so I stick around, I see a couple guys with AJJ jackets on, talk to them, they point out, yeah, this is how you get a hold of Eric. Eric's kind of a Kind of one of those schools you got to know a guy to know a guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really advertise. He kind of keeps things small. Um, so I go and um, I meet Eric. He's supposed to be mostly stand-up, right? And I meet the guy, and he looks like the Hulk. <laughs> <clears throat> but he can do the full splits. Oh, wow. So, so I'm not used to this. I'm not used to a guy that looks like him being able to head kick. Right. You know, he's, he's kind of an anomaly. And I'm thinking, okay, first day of practice, he shows me, you know, a couple of kickboxing stuff. I'm like, man, he's a sweet kickboxer, but, you know, there's no way he's wrestling. He's on my level. And I'm thinking, you know, I've been on the mat with all these All-Americans, national champs, and, you know, tore through judo. I'm going to smash this guy when we get <laughs> when we get to the ground stuff. So, um, he's and he's kind of messing with me a little bit. He's checking my ego. He's like, you know, wrestlers get, this way you guys are going to screw up. You're going to lose arm bars. You're going to lose to... Uh, Triangle chokes, you're going to lose to guillotine chokes because you're, you're going to get punched in the head because your stance is wrong, you know? Right. And, uh, well, of course, which is true, but, you know, when you're 21, you think you know everything. <laughs> so here comes a day where Eric makes me wear a jacket, puts the gi on, and I'm thinking, okay, he's bigger than me, he's stronger than me. You know, he's going to try to play that top game, and he's going to try to smash me out, and I'm like, he's not going to be able to take me down. I'm thinking. Well, first thing he does is pull guard. And I spend the next three minutes just getting collar choked every which way you can think of. Like, whatever the encyclopedia of collar chokes was, he went A to Z. Okay. Just to kind of let me know that, you know, there's more to this game than what I think there is. Always, right? Oh, and it was he was so slick with it. Like, at one point, he, um, he clock choked me 
by dropping his outside hook on his on his guard. So I'm thinking, oh, there's the path to escape. So I start walking, and then I realize halfway through, I'm clock choking myself. Oh, <laughs> you know, he's he is not built in a manner where you think he's going to be slick, and he's just super smooth, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went, I went and thinking he's going to rely on muscle, and, and he just he outslicked me just over and over and over and over again. Uh, so that was ego check day for Eric. I came out of that thinking, okay, that was my that was my fall in love with jujitsu moment. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, ah, oh, that was amazing. Because it's one thing to see it on TV. It's another thing to experience that in real life, you know, and feel that where it feels like you're like Tom talked about, you're totally safe and then you're not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're working out like four times a week. Um, Stand up grappling, like judo stuff, ground fighting, and then two times a week with uh, kickboxing. Um, and uh, another thing I forgot to mention, Eric is a green beret, so he's mm. kind of an elite guy, you know. Um, and I'm finding out that one of his things was was that um, you go through like military and you're moving from base to base to base. So you're learning a lot because you're going to different schools. Um, but it, it can be, um, I guess kind of disheartening because these guys are not belt ranking at the level that they really should be because you might spend two years in one deployment, four years in another. So you're switching schools every so often. Um, but at the same time, you're learning a lot. So, um, in Eric's case, he, I mean, his knowledge base was huge. And then I'm finding out from him that while he's stationed in North Carolina, he's actually a sparring partner for Bone Crusher Smith. Oh, wow. Uh, That was one of the guys that Tyson beat when he unified the the, uh, heavyweight title. Yeah. So I'm like, what's it like to fight a guy like that? And he looks at me and says, "Uh, the only time I ever did a backflip in my life is because Bone Crusher Smith hit me with an uppercut. (laughs) (laughs) he said he was laying ropes kind of trying to do a little rope-a-dope and he said he blocked he blocked it but even with the block in place bone crusher hit so hard he flipped him up over the ring ropes oh my goodness yeah yeah so (laughs) that's pretty cool stuff to see um so I think at that time I'm like a brown belt with Eric mm-hmm. and his thing, he had a, a policy basically was to get your black belt. You either had to, well, first off you had to teach at the school, um, which for me was the biggest blessing as far as technique wise. Cause then I had to stop and think about why all the, all the techniques that I liked worked and how to make them work for other people, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, how to observe your students and see, like, what their natural body movements were so you could lend things to them that kind of fit their game. Right. Because, you know, for me, when I'm coaching somebody, I want to make them the best version of of themselves. I don't want to make them another version of me. Hmm. Okay. Because my style may not work for everybody. So I think there's, like, you know, there's certain fundamentals that everybody needs to know 
Mm-hmm. But then when you try to bring somebody up to the next level, I think it's important to kind of figure out um, what works for them. You know, like um, my son is six foot two. I'm five foot eight. <laughs> so, I mean, we're totally different body types. So if I tried to coach him like me, it wouldn't work. Right. Okay. So, um, so you got to either, so, oh yeah, black belt. So you either got to fight, you got to jump out of an airplane. Um, Eric was a jump master in the military. So you had to do something scary or you had to go to another school, um, get outside your comfort zone and work out there for a year. And there was something else I can't think of at the moment. Um, Anyway, I chose a fight, so I entered a pancreation tournament. And my wife had never seen me compete. Um, so she was doing her student teaching while I was in my last uh, year of wrestling. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be pancreation tournament. It's going to be USA, Canada, and Mexico. So I get to the semifinals because um, it's a four-man tournament, so first match is the semifinal match. And I draw one of the competitors from Mexico, and we're going at it pretty well. So, oh, before I get into that, let me talk about the rule set. So basically, the rule set they had going was, um, basically, it was amateur MMA with no headshots. Okay. So, we need to, we're rolling pretty well. I get an underhook, and I roll, do like a victor roll, catch a toehold on the guy and tap him out. I'm super excited to look up. And don't see my wife. Oh, no. <laughs> my little youngster had a fit because he was trying to get on the mat to see daddy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so she had to take him out of the room. So she missed the whole thing. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. When I, yeah. um, when I did my first tournament, uh, I had my wife and daughter there. And I, I, lost, I lost pretty bad. And... I was just looking like, oh man, what is my wife and kids gonna think? Oh man! But I looked up and my daughter was just looking at her, like sitting there smiling, and she's like, "Did you win, Daddy?" I was like, "Nah, <laughs> like no, I, I didn't." But you know what? You went out there. You you gave on it. Oh yeah, I gave it. I gave it my all. Like definitely my all. But yeah, it was a good. I mean, it was a good time, good experience, and I uh, definitely plan on doing more. So I think everybody should compete at least once just to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I find that if I got a competition, then uh, I'm more dedicated to getting everything right as far as like diet and exercise and everything. Where if I'm just going to roll just for my own fun, then I get lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. Um. Let's see. Oh, the other part about it is, Eric, you had to go to seminars, so. Part of the thing with uh, going to another school was uh, there's this thing in Virginia um, called Karate College, and it is pretty sweet. You get all these world-level championship guys, um, and it's like college. So you're going from like hour-long seminar to hour-long seminar. Like it had um, – the year we went, Henzo Gracie was there. I think he's there every year. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing with, with Henzo was I've been in seminars where – uh, like my philosophy is if I see something that I think can apply to my game, I want to see how it would work. You know, if I see a, a sweep that I think, okay, this goes into something I like to do, I'm going to play with it a little bit and see if it works for me. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I've had instructors kind of 
correct me in the middle of a, a seminar saying, hey, that's not what we're working on. You need to work on my stuff only. Where, like with Henzo, uh, he shows the sweep from, um, from the opponent standing in your garden. And I'm in the middle of it. I think, man, this goes around this toehold because I really like toeholds. And I start working on it, and I see him out of the corner of my eye, and I think, oh, man, he's going to come over and chew my ass. Henzo comes over here, over there, and then teaches me a better way to do the move I'm doing. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably why you see much, so much innovation out of his school. You know, you see, like, all the stuff Danaher did, or still is doing. And I think that a lot of that comes from Henzo having that idea of, um, you know, letting people experiment a little bit and play and find their own game a little bit. Definitely. Um, so, a couple of the other like moments with Eric, I talked about him being a Green Bray. He was doing a, he's shooting an instructional for Green Berets for like ground fighting. Um, and <laughs> he's got his, his knife out and it's, it's like a big ass Rambo knife. I mean, it looks like a sword. Mm. And he's demonstrating like where the kill shots would be on certain grappling positions where you'd use a knife. And he's like, this is going to be released military only, you know, no civilian stuff. And Cause I'm like, who are you putting this out for? And he's like, Oh my, my SF buddies. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, don't let this man have a flashback. <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, he's like, he's like pointing out all the spots on me. And I'm like, Oh, oh Lord. I'm like, I'm, I know this guy loves me and I'm a little intimidated right now. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after I get my black belt with Eric and then, um, nine 11 happens. Uh-huh. And you know, as Eric puts it, they invited all us old crusty green braves to come back to war. Oh, so wow. he reenlists and he's going back to Afghanistan. So the school's closing down. And my wife and I get a job offer to move to California and run a group home for a city of San Diego, or not city of San Diego, county of San Diego. Okay. We're out in rural Escondido, uh, with San Diego County, but it's kind of out, out in the, the countryside a little bit. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be okay because I'm losing Eric, but I mean, there's got to be like a gazillion BJJ schools, mm-hmm. like right within distance. And, um, like Luis Ursada said, there really wasn't. This was like 90, this is 2001. There's hardly any schools. I'm like looking through the yellow pages and I can't really find anything. Um, so I'm kind of just back to coaching wrestling and uh, helping out with the local clubs. And there's a little Crab Maga school that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. So just trying to stay active. And then <laughs> we have this moment where, you know, Carlos Valente, he's a Hicks and Gracie black belt. He has a seminar at the boxing club I'm working out at, and I'm thinking, this is my time. I've, you know, I've been waiting forever to find a guy from for BJJ. And <laughs> then I come home from the seminar, super happy. A couple weeks later, we have a gang fight breakout in our living room. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, we have a job offer from another facility that's a little more um, established. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to give up on this because I can't have my, my wife's pregnant with our second kid and I can't, I, you know, I can't have gang fights breaking out where I'm throwing kids out of the house and driving them um, down the street to get them away from campus, you know, uh-huh. just not safe. Right. So we stay on in California for another about a year and then uh, 
her grandmother gets sick, we move back to Kansas. So for the next couple of years, I'm just kind of working at the facility. I'm teaching um, classes to guys, guys before shift on how to, um, you know, do some judo throws, do some restraints, things like that, because there's not really a set system in place. Mm-hmm. Um, then I transferred to a, to a spot in western Kansas that's a little bit bigger, and um, somehow the sheriff's deputy finds out about me. I'm not sure how. And he's training a guy for an MMA fight, and he wants a ground fighting coach. So I start working with him. That grows into us starting a school together and having a pretty decent like local MMA school where I think we're winning like uh, 80% of our fights. Mm-hmm. A lot of little ti- local titles. Um, and at some point, I I get a cut in my hand. It gets infected, and it turns into MRSA. Oh. So, um, and it's right before a fight. So one thing that I, I know from working facilities is you've got a one-hour window on medication. So the, the first time, I think I'm taking, the, taking it like it. Six o'clock in the evening. Um, this hardcore, uh, I think it's vancomycin. So I asked the nurse, "Can I keep moving this um, back an hour?" Because my guys are fighting on on Saturday, you know. Mm-hmm. So we get to that point. I'm pretty happy. I can go. I can corner my guys. I think we win our first title there. Um, and then I come back from after uh, having the surgery. Because they did the they did the antibiotics and then they uh, came in and called de- debriding. I think that's the right word. Basically, they're going in there cleaning up the wound to make sure there's no uh, infection left in it. Okay. And I come back and I'm teaching a um, teaching triangle escapes. And for some reason, every time I get in this position, my arm won't stop. It's like I'm I've lost control of it. It's just flopping all over the place. So I stop and I've I've had some kind of symptoms before, but I wasn't sure what they were. I started talking to docs. They sent me for uh, like a nerve conduction course, class, and not class, a uh, test. And they're just limiting things. Eventually, they send me to a uh, neurologist. And she says, well, you might have Parkinson's. I'm going to give you some medication. If it works, then, you know, you've got it. Hmm. So I go home, you know, research what Parkinson's is, start checking off the list. Yep, yep, you know. Uh, my foot drags by me sometimes when I walk, um, a couple other, other things I'm seeing like, yeah, that sounds consistent with what I've got. So I take the medication, that stuff kind of goes away. So I come back in a week and she's like, yep, I'm, you know, I hate to tell you this, but that's, that's what it is. So, you know, at that point they're I'm looking at research and they're saying that basically what they don't know the cause of it, but essentially you have dopamine that's produced by the substantia nigra in your brain, right? It's a little, little spot right in the back of your head. And it kind of affects your mood and your movement. Mm-hmm. So you start experiencing symptoms when you've lost 80% of uh, the dopamine in your body. So, you know, I'm running with like 20%. So my wife, um, uh, Super supportive. She finds out that, you know, massage therapy can help Parkinson's. She starts studying it, starts working on me, opens a little small business. Um, Our son joins the military. And 
gets eventually gets stationed in Las Vegas and starts training with uh, Team Honey Badger. Okay. Um, out in Vegas. That guy is, is a cool guy, too. We got to meet him a couple times. Um, well, Moses Lo- Antonio Lopez. Okay. Um, so, super excited watching my kid on TV on uh, oh, Blow or something like that. You know, first big tournament as a white belt is IBJJF Nationals, and he wins in the finals by triangle choke, and I'm super pumped. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, my wife is is delving into like these alternative um, um, remedies, mm-hmm. like therapies, and stuff like that. She goes on the site and she's following this guy because he's talking about working on athletes at the Pans, and she knows that's a big BJJ tournament. And he's talking about following somebody down the rabbit hole and finding that um, the impingement wasn't on the the guy's leg; it was in his arm. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what are you talking about? How can something in your arm affect your leg? And what the guy's studying is neurokinetic therapy. And kind of to put the easiest way I can explain it with my, you know, my knowledge of it is uh, whenever you get an injury, that can be like a roadblock for your brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say you live in Detroit, right? Or that area. Yep. Live in Detroit. Okay. So let's say you get road construction on second street. Um, and they fix so everybody reroutes to Fourth Street, okay? Mm-hmm. So Second Street gets repaired, but they leave the sign up saying "Don't use construction ahead." So everybody keeps using Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. Fourth Street gets worn out because it's working too hard. It's, it's doing the work of Second and Fourth Street. Right. So NKT is somebody coming in and moving that that "Do Not Enter" sign off of there so that your body starts using the correct pathway again. Oh, okay. I mean, okay, it makes sense. I got you. So my wife's doing that. She's doing some work with me. And through that, she meets this uh, gal named Sky out in um, Arizona. Who's, you know, hey, I'll mentor you. And Sky's putting on a, um, a Parkinson's clinic, like a, oh, they're like, basically like exercises you can do to improve. Okay. Okay. So we go out there and they talk about um, how to engage the brain with movement. Um, and the big thing was, you know, you got to be able, you got to be enjoying what you're doing. So if it's something that you find fun, and it's a new movement, your brain's going to start rewiring, and it'll actually regrow pathways. Hmm. So you know, I'm excited to hear this. Right. And we're doing the exercises at home, um, and then I'm at work, and someone says, uh, says to me, you know, my wife didn't think you had Parkinson's. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, I told her you did, but you're walking around all normal now, and I didn't even notice it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing my movements coming back, and um, our son is competing for uh, in a grappling tournament, and I'm thinking it's the same weekend we're going to be going to Vegas to visit him. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, it might be a cool little memory to uh, go out there and compete on the same day my son, side by side, be kind of cool father-son moment. Oh, yeah. You know? And then maybe my wife gets to see me, see me win. So she's finally get to see you, finally see you win. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I'm really just kind of training by myself. And I got my, I'm working as a shift lieutenant for security at a mental hospital. So I'm just grabbing my younger guys and I'm like, hey, all you 20 year olds, come beat up the old man after work. You know? Oh, wow. 
So I get in good physical condition, but my technique is not where it needs to be, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think, okay, if at least if I don't go out there and tap out because I'm tired, I won't embarrass myself. Right. So I go out and I have a, a couple matches with a guy that's like, um, he beats me by an arm bar twice. But, you know, I make it into the match. I'm not tired. I'm feeling good. And I'm thinking, well, maybe if I get a little more uh, experience on this or I find a club that I can roll with, get some more experienced guys around me, I can, you know, maybe get something going here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up meeting this guy named Nick, uh, Nick Taylor, and he's got a little small jujitsu school, um, where basically it's just like, um, kind of connected with a faith-based deal and he's doing it just basically giving away free classes at that time. Mm -hmm. But it's the middle of COVID, so he's not taking any, any new, uh, students on. So, you know, I bug him every, like, month <laughs> or every, every week until, you know, months go by. And finally, he's like, all right, come into class. Mm-hmm. So I come to class, and I got some good guys around me. But, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm having fun. I'm officially now a white belt in BJJ. And I'm like, you know, this is kind of cool. You know, it's taken me 30 years to get to this point, but I finally found a BJJ school. Right. Right. And it's just down the street, and it's in a small town. So, um. Some time goes by, and my son is getting shipped out to Spain. He's he's getting married. And he's they're getting they're going to send him to Spain, right? Okay. So I think okay, we got to see the kid before he goes. And once again, there's a tournament that weekend, and I'm thinking uh, I'm just going to watch. You know, I'm not not really great shape. I've been training for this. As we kind of find out on last minute, he's getting shipped out. I think we had like a month before. I'm thinking my old bud needs more more time to be ready for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the meantime, I found out my high school coach that I talked about back at the beginning uh, has been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh. So I'm kind of torn up about it, and I think... <sighs> you know the Facebook pops with those little Facebook memories? Mm-hmm. It popped up... Um, some of the pictures from that first tournament I went to the, uh, um, in Vegas I lost at. And he's on there talking about, you know, how excited he was to see me out there still competing, you know, despite everything and, you know, showing a lot of heart mm-hmm. and I put a smile on his face. So I think, you know, I'm going to put a smile on the old man's face one more time. So I'm like, you know, it may not be my best go, but we're going to get in shape as quick as we can and we're going to get going, you know. Talk to Nick and tell him what I'm doing. I need some of the younger guys to beat me up a little bit more after practice, do a couple more rolls or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I go out, um, order a rash guard with my high school coaches, his school in New York. Um, so I think, you know, that'd be kind of cool. And of course, since it's COVID, it arrives like two weeks after the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you couldn't get nothing during COVID. It was oh, so no way. terrible. Such a terrible no. time. It was rough. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, I go out to Vegas. We're entering, I'm entering in a heavyweight and uh, absolute advanced no-gi. Oh. So, and I'm I'm not a heavyweight. I'm, I'm At least I'm not a natural heavyweight. <laughs> I tip the scales now. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but I should be competing. When I competed, I competed like as a welterweight, you know. <clears throat> I'm like five foot eight, like I said earlier. So I'm not the I'm clearly not the biggest guy in the tournament. Right. So we're going the night before. Um and I find out the guy I'm gonna compete with used to run with my son's club. But he switched to something else and kind of because it was easier to get to, you know. Less of a drive. Mm-hmm. I work out with those guys. My son says, yeah, here's a couple things I noticed when I competed with the guy in practice. So I kind of sorted that away. And kind of like my big moment that kind of made me excited was uh, my son kicked my butt that night. <laughs> you know, uh, like I could see how far he'd grown and how much he'd learned in that school because he was just so, so smooth. So... I don't know if that's something weird to get excited about, but you know, I kind of think it's cool when your your son gets to the point where he's kind of able to do some bigger things than what you can do. Yeah, um, my my daughter just recently started training, and I talk about her a lot, but um, yeah. So I, I I'm hoping that one day too, like if she, you know, right now she, I think she's doing it because I do it. So I hopefully, like you know, she'll actually you know fall in love with it her for herself, and she you know go on to like train a lot um grow and maybe even compete one day so well and i heard you talk about it and i think the best thing that you're doing is you're not forcing her into it yeah um like my oldest asked me one time he said why don't you make me wrestle more because he he started wrestling as a kid hated it and then came back in junior high and, and loved it he's like man i would have been so much better if you would have forced me to wrestle like if I would have forced you, you wouldn't have loved it, and you would have hated it, and you wouldn't be doing BJJ now. Right, right. Yeah, because I I see you know the the few tournaments that I've gone to, and you know looking at some of the kids that be there, and you know you can, as a parent, you obviously can tell which parent is like forcing their kid to do this stuff, and Absolutely. you know they can you you can see it in the kid's face, their energy, you know they're they're trying their best because they don't want to disappoint their parent. But at the same time, they're not having fun. No. no. Not having fun at all. And if they're not, they're they're never going to get the most out of it. Nope. Not at all. Um, so it comes time to have the match. And one of the things I told the guys, cause in case he knew about my Parkinson's, I was like, hey. Because um, the original match I was wrestling two years before that, I was grappling with Phil Dunlap. And I kind of sometimes like had this hitch where I kind of cough. Mm-hmm. And Phil stops because he thought I was hurt, and I'm like, "No, no, keep going, keep going, we're good," you know. Which I thought was pretty gentlemanly of the guy, you mm-hmm. know, because he kind of knew the situation. But I told the opponent, I was like, "Hey, this might happen, that might happen, you know. I might get in the mat and lose balance and fall on my ass." I was like, "No," and and I think he got the impression that I wanted to take it easy on them. Like, "No, no, no, that's not it. I'm telling you that I know how to tap." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Worse. If worse comes to worse, I can tap. I said you might have some weird stuff happen. I'm like, just keep going your regular game, like you would anybody else. And if I get in a bad spot, I'll, I know how to tap out. Don't stress about it. Just you do, you do you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. Because it just, just, it just reminded me of something. Oh, go ahead. So, um, recently, my um, my wife started back training, and now she's going to be mad at me for mentioning this. But um, we were working um, kind of like a um, 
I want to say it's kind of like an X choke variation, but um, you know, we were working at and she's like working with another uh, white belt and she's like trying to get the technique down and she's like, I just, I just can't seem to get it. And I'm like, okay, well show me, show me, show me what's going on. So I have her do the move to me and you can tell like, she's so like hesitant to do it. I'm like, go for the choke. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to hurt you. And mm. my instructor looked over at her. And she's like, "Don't you like? Don't you see the color on his belt?" <laughs> I was like, "This ain't the first time." <laughs> I've been choked once or twice. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been choked uh, like quite a few times. But people <laughs> like I guess they don't really think about that. Like you know, like when you're working with um, you know, underbelts, and they're you know going for like different types of arm locks and chokes and stuff, and they're like you're not necessarily tapping, and they're like. I'm, you know, I'm cranking on this thing. How are you not tapping? I'm like, this is not my first Kimura. This is right. damn sure it's not going to be my last. Like, I felt this move like a hundred times at white belt, if not more. Mm-hmm. So, and this, I'm a brown belt. So I felt this quite numerous amount of time. So oh, just sure. cinch it in. I'll let you know if it hurts. There's that, there's that initial when you're first filming the move and you panic because you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then with time, you get to figure out what your limits are and how long you, how far you can take something so yeah absolutely because because for a while well even till now like i've been like the uh well when my my friend uh andrew was training he was the uki you know the person who helps demonstrate with the uh, instructor for people who don't know what that term is um Mm -hmm. he was the uki but after a while you know he kind of fell out of love with jujitsu so i was training this was like when I was a blue belt, I don't know, about four or five times a week. So I became the Uki for like all the techniques. And even though like from then to now, I'm still like, you know, the Uki. But yeah, I've, I've felt so many, I've felt so many arm locks and chokes and wrist locks and leg locks and all this other stuff where I'm, I'm almost, I'm not gonna say I'm immune to them, but it takes a whole lot more to like cinch it in for me to be like, okay, tap. Right. It's like you you got yeah. flexible shoulders and arms. No, I'm just used to it. Like it sucks, but I'm comfortable with the pain. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know what you can take. Yeah. Definitely. You know, like uh when I talked about Eric earlier. Eric can't be knee barred. Mm-hmm. He just he just feels like a stretch like in his hamstring. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I do not get you. And but some people are just have those techniques that were just you know that one percent some out there. Where everything's gonna work except for that one one guy. Mm-hmm. But you know, most of us, you know, it's just you got that spot where you know you got to give up the the tap. So yeah, I mean, I'm at the point now where you know I'm I'm brown. I didn't felt so many different techniques and stuff like that. If this if I'm rolling with a white belt and if they got it locked in, but I know they're not gonna finish it, I'll tap anyway. Like you know, just go ahead because uh, I'm not about to have you. You know, feel like oh, I need to wrench this like a little bit harder, and then you blow my shoulder out of place. Oh, so sure. nah, <laughs> like oh, uh, you got it locked up. Uh, our right, tap. Oh, did I have it right? No, you had it locked up. But I'm not let you break. I'm not about to let you mess my, mess my arm up. I gotta go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you gotta let your ego go and remember. Yeah, you gotta go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I've I've one thing about me. I've never had an ego when it came to jujitsu because I fell in love with the sport so much and being around so like so many like humble people at the school including my coach i couldn't help but you know become that you know absolutely 
So absolutely. Just, we, I mean, all schools get those like those egos, and we had a couple, and they didn't last too long. I think maybe like one or two classes, but yeah. <laughs> like okay, so <laughs> you talk about egos and and kind of people not lasting. So the thing that Eric would do, I talked about Eric looking like the Hulk. Uh huh. His wife is a better boxer than he is. Holy crap. And she's a small little Mexican gal, right? Uh-huh. So if a guy would have an ego problem, he would try talking to him. And then if that didn't work, he would have his wife spar him. <laughs> his wife would the breaks out of him. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so then, you know, after that, it was either they would either drop the ego or they would drop class. <laughs> but either way, it's a win-win. It's a win-win, right. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> so, getting back to that match, I'm I'm uh go out and I compete with the guy for the just heavyweight before the absolute. Uh huh. And I lose by points. Get into a couple spots where um, I scramble a little bit and lose some points. But it's competitive, you know. I'm feeling pretty decent about it. Like um, my wife's been following stuff over the years because, like, the guy had me. He was using a knee shield. And um, she's like, why don't you go so hold? I'm like, because uh, I could feel him threatening with the uh, the scissor sweep, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like if I went for that, he's going to sweep me. She's like, well, you should have hit it anyway. I'm like, man, that guy is full grown. <laughs> he gets stuff off the top of the fridge for his mom. And when she wants to sweep underneath it, he lifts the fridge up. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to try to hit something that I know is going to get me swept underneath a big dude like that. So, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> so, I think I lose like, I don't know, three to nothing, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then go on and watch my son compete. And, uh, man, he's doing pretty well. Uh, at one point, he's, he's kind of not. The first couple of matches, he looks like he's off. And I'm thinking, man, is he worried about me? And he's not, that's why he's not doing well. So his coach comes over and um, kind of chews his butt a little bit and says, I don't know who's in your head today, but you need to get rid of that because that's not the guy I need to see on the mat. I need to see what I see every week in practice. Mm-hmm. And he just goes through and just tears through the rest of the tournament, just tears through it, just does a great job. You know, after the first one, I'm pumped up and I'm like riding this emotional wave because I got to see my son win. And I'm, I hear the, uh, the guy kind of being the guy I competed with talking kind of complimentary of me, talking about how it was tough to move me around. Pretty strong guy. If I was only taller, I'd I'd be really difficult to deal with. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Maybe I'm I'm not blind here, but he's he's saying some good things. So maybe I got a shot in this match. Mm-hmm. So rematch. I'm thinking, okay, what can I control? Um, if I maybe get in some take some less offensive attempts and don't scramble as much, maybe I can pull this off. Mm-hmm. So we get back to the rematch from the finals of the absolute. And then the uh, thing with parks is sometimes your meds switch off. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the middle of the match. Like we go out there, I'm maybe 30 seconds in and I start getting dizzy and I feel my legs stop working. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh shit. What am I going to do? And for a second, I feel like I want to tap. And then I can hear Tom, you know, say, you know, we don't give up. We move forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, what can I control? I'm like, he couldn't take me down last time. So if I keep control of these ties, keep pressure forward, you know, until this passes, we'll see if this passes. Another minute goes by, I can feel my legs kick back on again. I'm like, okay, I'm in business. <laughs> so the car has started. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what it looks like sometimes. Because I'll have a couple stumble steps and then I start moving. <laughs> <laughs> got, 
guys at work will be like, uh, are you revving up there, big guy? I'm like, yep, yeah, revving up. <laughs> or with, yeah. uh, with, they, t- they talk about Parkinson's being either shake or freeze. Mm-hmm. Or I'll tend to freeze a lot. And someone will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's cool. I'm just on pause. <laughs> so just a quick little pause. I'm good. Let's just go. Quick pause. I'll be good in a second. So, you know, to kind of control the mat space, shoot him off the mat a couple times. Because uh, I mean, he's so much bigger than me, I don't want to commit something, commit something, and get stuck underneath him. But if I kind of force him out of bounds, I think I'm kind of winning some points, and maybe I'll catch something on the edge of the mat and score something. Uh huh. So we go to overtime. It's zero to zero. Kind of following the same plan. You know, I'm controlling the center of the mat, uh, moving him around, put, shooting him off the mat, and then we get down to like the final five seconds, and I try to hit a lateral drop at the edge of the mat, to try to score on him, and I miss it. But I'm able to get half guard, so he doesn't score any points. So I'm like, okay. I felt like I controlled the fight, but I don't know if that last match, the last little bit of action is going to look bad for the referee for me or not. But I'm feeling confident. Mm-hmm. So we get to the center of the mat, and it's, it's up to the referee. He's going to decide who wins. And I can feel him raise my arm like, man, I felt light as a feather. Awesome. I look over, and then I see my wife. She's got to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to ask, so did the wife get to see this time? Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. job, wife. She had a little tear in her eye, and she wiped it off real quick. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was pretty excited for her. But my thing was I wanted to win so she could see it because she put so much work into me with all the body work and all the knowledge and all the research she does. And I wanted to win a medal for my coach because um, he's just a great guy, and he's another person that put a lot of effort into me. Because mm-hmm. you know, as you go through life, it's not just about you; it's about the people that invest in you. Definitely. And I, I can, I can honestly say, like, my wife is like, uh, I mean, obviously, she's been um, extremely, extremely supportive since I've started jujitsu. Um, even like she was willing to sacrifice herself for me when I was uh, prepping for my. Well, I think this is my purple belt test. She was sort of kind of still, no, this is my blue belt test. I was getting ready for my blue belt test. Um, and I was like, okay, I want to get these techniques down. So I was like, put on your gi for me and I need to go over these techniques. Right. And I mean, she, she stuck through it. She stuck with it. And, you know, even to this day, she still, you know, like we roll a little bit. And like, if I want to work a technique, if I see something, I'm like, come to work with me. <laughs> and she's like, okay. All right, started my guard. She's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's good stuff. Yeah, but she's but she's getting a lot better. She's she's actually advancing a lot more than what she thinks she is cuz she's like she's so hesitant to like like oh, I'm, I know I'm going to do this wrong, but nah, she she she's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, there's no wrong. There's just learning. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cuz like that's my just dream to like actually be able to like fully roll like me and her just 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 full roll like full-blown roll can't wait oh yeah cannot one wait my, one of my college teammates him and his wife were both uh, ibjgf national champs oh that's awesome yeah that's cool stuff that's the very very cool stuff but um yeah man if you got any uh questions for me um if you want to you know shout out your school and if you uh, i don't know if you're still competing or not um if or if your school competing you can definitely you know plug them you know the floor is still yours yeah, we got a uh, November Tango and BJJ and Great Ben. We meet Tuesdays and Thursdays at six thirty. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Um, it's a great, great group of guys and gals, and we have a lot of fun. 
Um, and yeah, we're, I'm trying to get back into it. I kind of had a big knee, knee injury last March that I'm kind of just about recovered from. So, you know, I've been to a couple practices and watching, but you know, then I started wanting to get on the mat. Yeah. No one can so, go to class and just watch. No, I started wanting to go, Oh, you, I see somebody needs help with a takedown. I, I know all about that. Come here a second. I'm like, no, no, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Your wife is going to kick your ass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Um, so questions for you. So one jujitsu question and one nerd question. Gotcha. Cause I saw that and I was like, I was like, man, this guy might be my new best friend cause he likes jujitsu and nerd stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so do you have any kind of mental preparation you do before, uh, competing? Um, well, given the fact I only did one, but, um, I still, I kind of try to, keep myself calm enough i don't necessarily like to i don't say go in with a game plan but my main game plan is to um just establish myself get you know if i can get my top position to slow everything down keep myself calm but i guess that's like the like the basic game plan for any jujitsu because mm-hmm. i do it even in in a friendly role at, at class like i you know i try to keep myself calm and just go with the flow and then, you know, pace myself because that was a big issue with mines. Um, it still kind of is a little bit, but, like, I've learned to, like, really, really slow myself down. And my jiu-jitsu have, like, took a big, big leap from purple to brown since I started doing that. So, but I will be testing that soon, though. I will be testing that soon in January. Um, there is uh, Grappling Industries, uh, I believe it's January 7th here in, uh, it's oh, in awesome. Wayne, Michigan. So, I will be competing at that. I'm, I know I'm going to do gi, but I'm trying to see where I'm at to do both gi and no gi. Right. So I'm like, this is my second tournament. I don't want to go. I want to go boss to the wall, but I don't want to go crazy with it. So I'm still playing. I'm still in the fence about that, but I'm definitely doing that tournament. So yeah, I've been, I've been getting ready for that for since yeah for like the last couple months because i was going to do a tournament in october but i ended up testing for my brown belt and my teacher mm. my instructor was like okay what you want to do like are you gonna are you doing this tournament because we got something to take care of and then when he i was realized what he was talking about i'm like oh i would hate oh, to okay. like get right. I, I would hate to test for brown belt and then like the next week do a brown belt competition so i was like right i was like nah let's just get the brown belt out the way and then i'll just find another one and then that's then when we'll i found the one in january yeah well, it's like uh and that calming thing i think is a great approach my i see like wrestlers will use like the pump up music like heavy metal and stuff like that mm-hmm. one of them came up to my son one time he's like what are you jamming out to he's like a frank sinatra yeah yeah so he he gets down with like jazz and you know, crooner type music before he goes out. So he's in a calm place and not really a super heated place. And it works for him. Yeah. Cause I, I, that's, that's, that's my thing too. Um, when I was like, I got a, like a little playlist of music I listened to when I was about to compete that day. And I'm and like, I'm like, this playlist was awesome. Cause it was a lot of down tempo songs down, like a lot of mellow song. Cause I didn't want to mm-hmm. get myself overhyped. Cause if I get, you know, if I put on a rowdy song, I'm gonna get too rowdy. And then, that right. might throw me off so i was like you know what we're gonna keep it calm keep the playlist light and 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 like relaxed and i still got my ass kicked but i was relaxed when i got it <laughs> when yeah. i did it so <laughs> yeah, i like to have something that makes me want to dance a little bit but not like you know like 
little Stevie Wonder, something like that. Yeah, you know, just get you just yeah. just a groove, you know, not to get yeah. too hype. Right. So then the nerd question is what what do you want to see go live action? Like well, anything from like could be a comic, could be a video game, could be anime, just what do you think deserves to be that next level live action? Ha <sighs> what deserves to be live action? Honestly, I'm not gonna say video games. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like. I mean, depend on the game because I know they're doing like a God of. I'm not. I'm sorry, not God of War, Gears of War movie, mm-hmm. but like you know, shooter shooter games like you know God of War. Halo. I mean, I keep saying God of War. Um, I mean, because I've been playing it, Gears of War, and Halo and stuff like that because they're like I guess you want to say like military s shoot 'em up type games. Right. You can kind of do a. A legitimate story in an hour to to kind of like you know fit into the universe not so much action adventure games and stuff like that but oh man if i want to go like comic book related i would love to see a better green lantern movie That'd be um great. i know hbo max is talking about doing doing one that was supposed to be following john stewart so i'm excited about that um obviously i would love to see static shock Oh, that'd be rad. Um, I would like to see Miles Morales Spider Man in live action, and I would like to see um, I kind of want to see a Thundercats live action movie, only if James Cameron does it. Well, that could be good. That's, so that's only that's the only way I accept that. <laughs> Talking Green Lantern, the guy that I see in that role is, um, I can't think of his name right now, but he played the gunslinger in, um, oh, what is the name of it? He said that movie about the, with the lions. Um, dang it. Beast. He was, he was the star of the show Beast. Where he's oh. kind of out in Africa and his, his family gets attacked by the, by the oh, lion. Oh, Idris Elba. Yes. Yes, yes. I can I see think, that. I, I, I can see that. Good. I was thinking, um, um, I cannot remember his name. Um, he's he's new. Uh, Denzel's Washington's son. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Him and um, God is gonna is gonna is gonna haunt me because I'm looking right at him and I know his name, but. There's another actor that I would think would play that role well, but I I can't think of his name right now. But I would love I would love to see a lot of. There's a lot more, you know, but that would be like a whole other show. Right. Way <laughs> off topic. Yeah, way <laughs> off topic. We'd be like that's like a whole other hour, but we'll definitely <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, personally. But yeah, that'd be a whole other like show. But, um, but yeah, that's uh, the end of today's episode. I would like to thank my guest uh, Ed again for coming onto the show and um, sharing his experience with us. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So, can you, and if you can, can you please go and follow our Facebook and Instagram page to stay up to date on all future episodes? This have been Talk Your Jits podcast. Keep rolling, keep grinding, and remember, long live jujitsu. Have a great day. <laughs>